Hi, my name is Michelle Obama. And I feel cautiously optimistic <laughs> about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hello. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Uh, this is Conan O'Brien. Um, this is a very special episode of our podcast. We're on uh, a flight to Milwaukee, and uh, the airline has kindly let us set up our podcast equipment, I think in violation of most FAA rules. <laughs> Today, I'm going to be speaking with former First Lady Michelle Obama, and uh, we are really looking forward to uh, having her on our little show as a, as a guest I'm joined, as always, by my trusty team of sleepy ninjas, uh, Sonam Obsession, my assistant. Hi, Sona. Hi, Conan. How are you? I am so happy that I get to go on this trip. I have never been so happy to go on have a trip Have you met you. the first lady before? I've worked, no. I've worked with her a couple of times, mm-hmm. but you haven't met her. I've gone to a lot of the events where she is, but I've only stared at her from far away. Yeah, that's creepy. Don't do that. When We're we, going to get our security yeah. revoked. <laughs> Yes, and uh, Matt Gorley, of course. Uh, not sure what role you play in this whole thing. I'm literally the producer. That's that is my role and yeah. title. Never really been in the business a long time. In, in television, I've never really known what a producer does. I know what I do. This is a thrilling mission, though. I'm so excited to be yes. on board. Now, this is. I want to get right to the point because uh, we don't have time to waste. We're going to be interviewing uh, Michelle Obama. This is uh, this is a big deal. We need to act like professionals, okay? Now, yes, we've... You're telling us. Well, I am, frankly, because, I, you know, we can get kind of loose and we can get kind of goofy. And by we, I mean you two. I'm uh, sort of the anchor. But this is talking to an international icon, someone who's beloved around the world. As I said, a former first lady, someone who uh, has one of the biggest selling books uh, in the world right now, uh, certainly. And and we're going to be talking to her. And I want you guys to be on your A game, you know, because we're going to be around Secret Service. We're going to be around a very professional staff. I'm sure Mrs. Obama has a professional staff. And then I'm going to be stumbling into town with you guys. But, you know... I've got this hipster producer. Not a hipster. You have a little latte making machine that you keep in your back pocket. I don't. That's a true fact. Mm-hmm. And you drive a unicycle <laughs> to work every day. And uh, you're wearing tweed underwear right now. <laughs> that is true. From the late 19th century. That is true. Love the chafe. And uh, Sona, you can be a little unprofessional at times. Is that true? I uh, wholeheartedly disagree with that assessment. What do you mean? I think I could work for Michelle Obama. I'm going to ask her for um, a job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to do that during the podcast? Yes. <laughs> Just cut in and say, I'd like to have a job with you. You know, they're going to look into your past. Yes. I'm assuming you have a criminal record. Why would you assume I, why would you hire a criminal? When I met you, I wanted to help you. Oh. Uh, I wanted to raise you up. Oh my God. I taught you English. You've done none of those things. Okay. Well, we've established two things that we know for sure, which is that Matt Gorley wears tweed underwear from the late 19th century and rides a unicycle and that Sona I taught you English. Now, let's move on. Now, let's do this professional podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, we're very excited. And again, uh, like I say, all I'm asking you to do uh, is sort of just follow my lead. 
You know, I've interviewed uh, presidents, prime ministers, members no. of the G7 no. summit. No. 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 no, you haven't. Well, some of that is true, but I never talked to prime ministers or members of the G7 summit. That I just threw in to sort of pat out my resume, and I'm embarrassed. Yeah, it's very easily checked. Yeah. And okay. you clearly lied. Okay, well, that's. Sure, was... you don't want to follow us? You've got balls, Gourley. I know. I'll give you that. I know. You've got big tweed balls. <laughs> Do I ever? Yeah. Um, all right. I believe the next voices you'll hear will be us uh, talking to Michelle Obama. This is so exciting. Yep. It really is. Yeah. And uh, you're welcome. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, uh, here we go. Let me, uh, let me put this interview in context. I've met you many times. I've uh, been at many occasions with you. And you're always a professional and the epitome of class. I've never seen you happier than I saw you today. We just, we were in a, a we are still mm -hmm. in a high school mm -hmm. in Milwaukee. And you were talking to young students about going to college. And there's a lot of, you know, kids from all different backgrounds, mm -hmm. kids that are not certainly not affluent and maybe think that college isn't a possibility. And I watched you talk to them. Mm -hmm. It's the happiest I've ever seen you. Yeah. It's, you really, yeah, I mean, it just seemed like this was religious for you. Yeah. It's my happy place. It is my, my, my mission, my passion. Um, because I was those kids, you know, we were those kids, you right, know, right. you know, and most of those kids are those kids, yes. kids experiencing doubt. This is the toughest time in their lives when they're trying to figure out who they are and where they're going to go and transition and fear and doubt. Um, and I've been there and yeah. I, I figured that, that to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah. And if I can be a voice to give them some guidance and some insight and some hope and some possibility and to show them I was you because kids need to see visually where they can go. Right, and I right. am I am that journey for them. It's like I was sitting in those seats and now I am here. Well, here's what I saw. I saw these kids sitting in a small circle in this uh, high school uh, in Milwaukee and I saw them there. You can see the gears turning in their head and they're thinking, wait a minute, if I'm <laughs> sitting here and I'm talking to Mrs. Obama... Why can't I do anything? Yeah, yeah. And which is a really amazing thing mm -hmm. to witness. You can see the light go off literally in their souls. Yeah. Um, and they start sitting up a little taller and yeah. the, the, the ideas start spinning. But that's why visuals are important. Experiences are important because you can talk and talk and you can read about it. Yep. But until you see college, right, and you see the people doing it, and you sit in on a class and you see, oh, you're an idiot, and I, I can be an idiot too and still get here, or right. this is hard, and you failed, or you stumbled, you had fears. Kids, all people, but kids in particular, they need to see it before them. I, I, I represent that for yeah. these kids. This is what blew me away. I got the book, Becoming, and I expected to learn a lot about you. I didn't expect to relate to as mm -hmm. many things as I did in the mm -hmm. book. I am um, the whitest man in America. <laughs> <laughs> you always say that, Connie. I am. I'm I've met whiter. <laughs> <laughs> really, name one. <laughs> I am a, a, a sickly white, uh, and the white community has rejected me. Uh, it's like too white. Too white. Too it's white in, for send us. Send them back. Send them back. It doesn't work for us. 
<laughs> but uh, there's so much in your in your book that is about, and this is something that's a little bit of a religion for me, something that I'm religious about, which is people have a tendency to look at someone who they believe has made it mm-hmm. and they don't understand everything it mm-hmm. took for them to get there. And they don't see the insecurity. Mm-hmm. They don't see mm-hmm. the stumbles. They don't see, and what I thought your book did really beautifully and you telling very good stories is you told all of these stories that took me from South side of Chicago, mm-hmm. Euclid Avenue, mm-hmm. second floor to the White House. And I understood it. Mm-hmm. It's still mind boggling, yeah. but I understood it. Yeah. And it is amazing to me that, I mean, and, and then there's little details in there like, you were 70s television, 1970s television. Mm, all over it. Mary Tyler Moore. That I didn't realize that Mary Tyler Moore. girl. It's like Mary, she had a job and a voice and she wasn't going home and cooking dinner. I found her fascinating. So you connected to Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. And she was, she dressed well too. She's very cute and sassy and she was still feminine, but had her own voice. And, you know, I, a lot of this is hindsight looking back on why was I so drawn to her? Why did I cuddle up, you know, right. you know after that was the Carol Burnett show. And yeah, Carol Burnett, know, I mean, that was, that was great sort of lineup. the lineup, right? Yeah. there. Um, uh, so it was family night too, but there was, you know, in hindsight, I, I, she was, she was new, her character. And I loved her, um, in uh, the Dick Van Dyke show as yes. Laura Petrie. Yeah. So there was something about her energy too, that just felt new, um, because each character was not the traditional, even when she was Laura Petrie, she was not the Ozzy and Harriet kind of, she wore pants, she danced, she was a showgirl, she was as funny as him, you know, she was an equal in the roles that she played, which was not necessarily the case. Um, But I think that the point that you make about connection and the fact that, you know, people see folks like us, people who are famous and think, you know, you've never had hardship, that's because we're taught to hide all that. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of famous people spend all their time trying to pretend like, oh, I was supposed to be here. Because we're all kind of insecure about- All of us are. Whether we should be here anyway. So we've been taught, just just fake it, you know, rather than, no, why don't you sh- show people who are now looking up to you the truth of the path and the journey? I think that, and I think about those kids we just talked to about how unfair is it of them for me to present myself as already done, as sort of this untouchable being when they're trying to get here. It's like, if I really want to help you get here, I have to be honest with you about the struggle so that when you hit it, you don't give up, you know, but we, we, we spend our time pretending so we don't share anything with each other. We share what I say are our stats. Yes. What school did you go to? Yes. Tells you nothing. Right. You know, tell me about your occupation. Give me that title that you put down. Tells me nothing. When LA, it's what are you driving? Oh, God. <laughs> you know. You got a Lexus, you got a Tesla. You know. Then I know who you are. Well, no, you don't. Yeah, you know yeah. nothing. But the stories of what you watched when you were little. Right. You know, what music did you listen to? What was your grandfather like? Who was your most frustrating relative when did right. you fall first right you know what was your what, what was your what was your most prominent memory when you were five yeah I mean, a lot of people ask me how did you remember all that and it's like well it's not a lot it's just that i learned to value what i remember that every memory even not being able why i remembered not being able to spell the word white why that thing in kindergarten stuck with me is telling to sort of 
who I am. Right. That's more telling that story, you know, tells you more about me, the tenacity that I had and the sort of insecurity that I felt and sort of the 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 vision that I had for who I needed to be, even at four and five. That follows through. I'm consistently that person. There's right? a part in the book uh, where a friend of yours says, why do you talk like a white girl? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is something people say to me to this day. Uh, 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 so I could, I could relate. But, um, but the fact that that, that hits you so hard, mm-hmm. that that really stuck with you, to me it's, um, my theory has always been people that are sensitive to hurt Mm-hmm. sensitive to um, exposure, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, sensitive to I'll be seen for less than what I should be. They'd work extra hard to cover it. Mm-hmm. And those people um, end up becoming wildly successful. Mm-hmm. Many times mm-hmm. you and I have both been at parties where every famous person in the world is there. And I always want to sort of ding a glass and stand up on a table and say, can we just all admit that we were horribly insecure nerds when That's we were right. kids. No, there'd be occasional, you know, That's LeBron right. James will say, like, I don't know what you're talking was. about. <laughs> never was. What are you talking about? Yeah, but I think that is uh, the gift of you telling this mm-hmm. story and telling it in a way that is so relatable, which is again and again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. That hurt. Yeah. You got your feelings hurt That's when right. you, uh, you know, when I first became a public person and I read things about myself that weren't mm-hmm. true, I had a physical reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was sick and I could feel it physically mm-hmm. in my chest. When you write about yeah. people thinking, well, she seems bossy. Mm-hmm. She doesn't see, she seems kind of like yeah. she's domineering. A lot of the misogynistic, mm-hmm. sexist, mm-hmm. racist, whatever you want to say, stuff that happens yeah. when people are projecting onto you. Mm-hmm. And you were very good at saying, yeah, that hurt. Yeah, yeah. Because for whatever reason, we've sort of we act like we should pretend like it doesn't. You know, now, being first lady, I felt Barack and I, we both had things that hurt us, that disappointed us. But the truth of the people are like, well, why are you talking about it now? Well, because when you're the president and the first lady, your job isn't to sort of be psychoanalyzed, sort of help me through this. I mean, I very much felt my role as a parent to the nation. It's like, I've got to have my stuff together. This isn't the time for me to lick my wounds because we we got stuff to do here. There are military families that need help. There are kids who are trying to go to college. There are kids who need to eat healthy. I'm I'm okay. I can deal with this. So we're not going to make that the focus of these eight years. But now that I'm away, you know, it's I feel it's important for people to read that chapter. Chapter 17 was the hardest chapter for me to write because I, for the first time, had to go back and read all of that stuff, which I purposely didn't. I learned to, I can't, uh, to one, guard I can't against to myself. Day. Yeah, I don't think I could do what you did. But I, there's a visceral reaction you get just from reading that even later, chapter. There's stuff I have yeah. not, I mean, I know mm-hmm. for you, you went back and read things that people wrote about you that just were not true uh, you know, uh, cruel, baseless, but it's everyone's working their own mm-hmm. agenda. You find out at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with it you. It has nothing. You are the prop that they are using in that moment. You are just part of the game. Yeah. You know, and so- But you went back and you read it. it I, I read it because I, I, I wanted, I knew when I was outlining the vision for this book 
that that chapter needed to be pivotal. Right. For a couple of reasons. Number one, I want the nation to remember that we do this. Yep. That this politics thing and a lot of stuff you read, it's a game, you know, and everybody's in on it. And you can't tell who believes what, but people are playing a role oftentimes. There are plenty of good people in it who are doing it for the right reasons, but we cannot buy into the political definition of who we are. Who we are in politics as a nation is not who we really are because people are jockeying for power. I want people to remember that. I also want people to remember, it's like, all right, we're now gone. We're finished. The country... Whatever we were going to do is done. <laughs> and all the things we were told, be afraid of them, be afraid of this, be afraid of health care, be afraid of blah, be afraid. Now what? Because what that shows is that there's always going to be somebody telling us to be afraid of something. And they're still telling people to be afraid of Barack Obama. Yes. He's yeah. not the president anymore. Well, it, and it, we're, yeah. what, what was going to happen? Yeah. What were we, what are we, what are we clutching about? You know? And are we clutching because of race? We have to own what we're clutching. Are we clutching because he had a different name? Are we were we clutching because he had different ideas? We've got to get out of our own way right. um, in this country. So I felt for people now who view me as beloved, especially young kids who didn't know us in those times, a lot of kid, the, those kids in those rooms, they were babies when we were in office, right? Yep. I want them to know, yes, this Michelle Obama that you now know and love that is selling all these books and nobody has anything bad to say about didn't just a few years ago was a terrorist, evil person who was going to take your carrots and ruin the land. Mm -hmm. We were just there. Yeah. So don't buy into that stuff when people do that to you, because they don't even believe it half the time. No, it's true. I, <laughs> I've experienced viscerally uh, people uh, going through phases where people think one thing about you, then they think a different thing about you. And uh, at the end of the day, what I always say to myself anyway, is keep your head down, do the work. Mm. And if your heart's in the right place. That was our motto. That was our motto. That That's really the... When people say, what do you mean by when they go low, we go high? You yeah. know, it's essentially all you can do, what you told those kids, Conan, today, and you were amazing with those kids, uh, by the way, is you go back to the basics. You show up in the world as a good person with the values that you were taught, and all of us were taught those values. Some haven't quite you know, fully digested them, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but we all know them. <laughs> show up with kindness, do the work. Yeah. And Barack was always like, all we can do is roll up our sleeves and do the work. And so that chapter, as you know, led into me coming into the White House with a very clear understanding yeah. that I just probably more quickly and efficiently, because I wouldn't be given the benefit of the doubt, I needed to demonstrate to the nation that I can do the work. I work hard and I work smart. And let me just show you. And in the end, I have to count on the fact that what I produce will define me. Yeah. And so that's what it means to go high. Yeah. In the end, don't, don't seek revenge. Don't harbor resentment. Just do the work. I have to say there's one, there are a few things that I was looking for in the book. I'm a grudge holder. I try not to be. 
but I'm a grudge holder. And let's put that on the table. We'll just put that on the table. <laughs> okay. And you said something to me. I didn't like. No, I, I, it's mm-hmm. not about you. Uh, <laughs> right. And then you the made me was, do those push-ups. <laughs> you made me like, do push-ups. How dare you? You made me do push-ups. That's in our at an video, by the way. Yeah, I know. Okay. I'm embarrassed. Uh, you made me do push-ups. It gets once the on best a, laugh. Yeah. Too. People love to see Conan try to use his body, don't they? <laughs> um, I've had so many moments uh, with you, just just uh, over the years casual moments where I could see that you were a human being caught up in an absurd situation. Mm-hmm. And I remembered sitting with you uh, at a White House Correspondence Dinner. And mm-hmm. one of the, the biggest honor at the White House Correspondence Dinner is that you get to sit with the First Lady. So I got to have dinner right next to you. And everyone I know, their minds melted. Uh, they loved it. They wanted to know everything. The one thing I remembered saying to you is I remembered saying, so do you know what you're going to do after? This was, I think, maybe halfway through the second term. I said, you know where you're going to go afterwards? And you're sitting there and you're eating your dinner. And you said, well, uh, you know, we, I, think we, I think we want to stay in, uh, I, I want us to live, uh, I think, uh, in Chicago. Of course, that guy has other ideas. And you gestured over <laughs> the president. And I was like, that guy? That guy's the president of the United States. But I could yeah, see what's, that- What's his name? Yeah, and you were just, <laughs> but you said it the way my wife refers to like, me. Yes, She's fine. like, well, that guy thinks we're going to the mall <laughs> to get pizza, California pizza kitchen, but that guy doesn't know the real score. Because the kids and I have been talking That's and we're exactly getting steak. That's you know? it is in our household. <laughs> but I loved seeing that. I loved seeing um, that you, and the way that you- as a mom, just dealing with your kids the way your kids keep you guys mm. in line. Like, yeah. really? Yeah. Mom, they're embarrassed by you in moments. Oh, my God. Hugely embarrassing. You know, imagine showing up to parent-teacher conference with a 20-car motorcade, you know, and police officers yelling at the teachers, move out of the way, presidents on cat people on top of the roofs, you know. Yeah. Um, we had to parent uh, by creating this cocoon of normalcy in a pretty crazy abnormal world. And I describe it as like, what do you do when your kids are a toddler and they bump their head that Mm -hmm. first time and they look to you to figure out how to react. And if you're all freaked out, they'll cry just as hard. If you tell them they're okay, then they're like, okay, well, I guess I'm okay. Yeah. We spent eight years just going, it's okay. (laughs) You'll be fine. This is normal. Just go to school. You have guns, men with guns. Hey, you know, you're safe. This don't is complain. your reality now. You yeah. have food. So don't complain to me about, you know. So it was very much keeping them in their reality, yeah. making sure we went to the parent-teacher conferences and that we went to their games and that we were sitting on the sidelines with them and that they had sleepovers and we had kids sleeping over at our house. And that takes work. Your while house you're being to, the White House. Our house being the <laughs> just, White House. Just trying to normalize yes. things here. Yes, our house yeah. being the White House, which, by the way, my kids were like every other kid. It's like, why would people want to come here, Mom? It's like, it's the White House. I guarantee you they want to come and watch a movie. No one wants to come here. I was like, you are wrong, my friend. But that their view was, I don't want to be here. I'm here all the time. Yep. I want to go to X's house, right. um, which I always found was a healthy sign yes. that they weren't obsessing about this, that they were curious about other. But I am, I am in awe of my children mm-hmm. for the way they have managed this whole thing with poise and and grace. There's a 
there's a resilience that they've had to develop. I mean, we've 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 given them so much more than any of us have ever had. They have met the Pope and the Queen, and they've done things that just no kid would ever do. Uh, but they've also had to sacrifice a lot of their childhoods. Yeah, living in the, this glare and being the subject of some of this nastiness yeah. themselves, yeah. and learning at a very young age how do you recover from that? Right. How do you steal yourself from? Because my kids weren't like us. Me and Barack, we were in our cocoon. We were in our bubble. We we'd escape to do an event and come back. They were the ones going out into the world every day, trying to be regular little girls standing in the ice cream line. Or Ada, there's a time when uh, Malia talks about going on a class trip, and she was a sophomore. They were at one of the museums, and another class of fifth graders recognized her. Mm-hmm. And the teachers started gathering around her, and they started taking pictures. And she had to take it upon herself because the teachers weren't stopping this. The no grownups were taking charge. No grownups. They were engaged in the... Uh, she, she gathered them around and she said, now, I'm very excited to see all of you, but I'm here with my school. And so I can't take pictures with all of you. You know, she took the moment to be gracious, to try to address them, but then to move them. On. She advanced herself. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's how my kids have had to operate. You, strangers approaching them and being angry if they don't want to take pictures. Try imagine trying to have your first kiss or sneak a cigarette, and yep. you've got you're on page six. Yep, yep. Um, they've had to learn how to steal themselves and then come out not being resentful, not being cynical, um, and still being curious about the world. Um, my hats off to them. I had a. Um as a confession, I had a horrifying child moment uh, in your and your husband's presence. <laughs> there was an event in Washington, D.C. that uh, my uh, that I was asked to host. Uh, was it the Easter egg roll? It was a Christmas. It was a Christmas oh, okay. show. A Christmas yeah. in Washington show. Yeah, and yeah. By the I way, uh, mm-hmm. just, well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but it, it was it was one of the, <laughs> I say, oh yeah, I remember that all the time. Um, <laughs> and I say that to my wife about our wedding. Um, but my... <clears throat> My wife, what happens, just I'll tell you from the other side of mm-hmm. your cocoon, I was a performer, my wife and my my daughter and my son came and they were much younger and uh, my son, um, they lock it down. So my <laughs> wife thought she was going to go out and get some food to keep his blood sugar up. Oh, He was about yeah. six or five. You can't move once no, the president No, they locked it there. down. They said, no, 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 the first lady and uh, the president will be here in, it's all locked down. They'll be here in three hours, but no <laughs> one leaves. So we were all locked in. And there's a moment where we all get in a line mm-hmm. with the other performers to meet you. And we get in the line and it's a long line to meet you. And my son starts to melt down. And he starts to lose it and he starts to, I can see him, he's getting irritated and he's, he hasn't, and I said to Liza, my wife, you got to give him something. She said, I didn't, I didn't bring anything. I didn't bring anything. And we we've been it. locked and down. We were, I thought maybe we could get down. out and we could get, and they're on lockdown. They won't let me get out. And my son Beckett is starting to lose it and lose it. And I say, Beckett, Beckett, you got to come down. We're getting closer to you guys. I see you, you and your husband graciously taking pictures with people. Our line's getting closer and closer. And my son goes, stop, I'm going to stop, I'm sorry. I don't want to meet them. I don't, I don't. And I said, listen, Beckett, calm down. We're about to meet the, the Obamas. We're about to meet the Obamas. And he went, I don't want to meet the Obamas. 
and he <laughs> just because he was in a bat and he sat down on it's his like butt. I'm hungry. He sat down on his butt. And he went, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to meet anybody. I don't want to meet the president of the United States. Blah. And then I. This is the best part of the story. You know who's in front of us in line is Justin Bieber. Now this is Justin Bieber. <laughs> I do remember this. This is Justin Bieber at maybe thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. He turns around. And he puts his hand, um, tries to diffuse the situation. Ooh. He puts my hand on my son's Ooh. head and rubs his hair. And he goes, chill out, dude. <laughs> and my son whips around and looks at Justin Bieber and says, don't you touch me. <laughs> Suddenly, my wife finds at the last second a piece of candy at the bottom of her purse, it's which all like moms have. It's all, all mom has. dusty she and She shoves it in my, in my son Beckett's mouth. He eats it. You can see the sugar hit his blood. Seconds later... Mr. President, so nice to see you. Ah, <laughs> Mrs. Obama, you look lovely. This little lovely. <laughs> I'd like to introduce myself. I just want you to know what you did <laughs> to children and moms in those receiving lines. You know, it it's crazy. This is the kind of stuff we had to think about. It's like because we don't know what our presence did in the land, you know, but we know we, we come in hard, you know, heavy yes. motorcade, shutting down everybody. That's why people are like, you think you want me at your wedding. You don't, you don't, you don't want me to show up with my dog sniffers and blocking down your mom from getting down the aisle. I mean, it is a heavy presence for sure. Uh, so thank you for <laughs> just wanted you to know putting up what with you it. did to me. You, uh, but you survived. You were so resilient. You know what? That's and the, we talked about resilience. The last Conan. chapter of the book in Becoming is Conan is resilient. And I really, I really didn't see that coming. That was a like delightful you inspired surprise. Me. You know, there's a moment, there's so much in this book. I read the book and you talk about these time that was, you work so hard. You have worked so hard in your life. And uh, today, one of the young people, mm. one of their questions was, will you run for president? And I almost wanted to... I know your answer is no, but I almost wanted to jump up and say, they've done mm -hmm. enough. Yeah. They did more than their share. <laughs> Please yeah. have, you know, enjoy. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you're doing great work, but there was a part in your book where you talk about, you would have, before you entered this insane world, you would go and you would sit in your car and you would eat Chipotle. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Chipotle, if you want to buy in on this, this yeah, is the time to do it. This is like, run the ads. Run the ads. Do it. And because um, I understand you really love Chipotle. I did. Well, there it was, you go. It was a respite. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I don't know whether I love Chipotle or I just loved the time alone with Chipotle. <laughs> We're going to edit this so you say I love Chipotle. Okay. And then I'm going to get all the I'm money. Sorry. And that's how the business works. Got it. Obama. Got no, it. but I'm wondering, mm. can you have that now? Mm. Can you, do you ever get time to go and could you mm. get away? I know you have security yeah. and everything, but can you, there's a lovely moment at the beginning of your book where you make mm -hmm. yourself a grilled cheese yeah. and you're by yourself yeah. and it's after the storm. Mm -hmm. It's after everything. And I thought, I'm wishing you more of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wishing there, you. There is definitely more of that 
for sure. I mean, as I explained to the kids today, we will forever have security, Barack and I, so there will always be a presence. But, you know, in the scheme of hardships, you know, I mean, that is not one I would list. They're a wonderful team of people who are like family to us, and they make our lives convenient, oftentimes sacrificing time with their own family. So, you know, that's not a hard thing to give up. Um, so there are more moments like that, and there will be more, right. you know, there, there there are many, many chapters. There will come a time in life where those same kids will be like, Michelle Obama who? You know, they will, they will forget about us and they'll move on to the next thing. And that's a good thing. We'll be fine with that. What Barack and I talk about that we do miss is, and you understand this, is the loss of anonymity. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, most people don't understand how valuable anonymity is, being able to blend into your environment and not be the center of it, but just to observe it. Because that's really where, and because I love people so much, I love casual conversations with people. I loved, while I loved my time in the car alone, Chipotle, I loved also what you learned standing in a grocery store line and overhearing someone's conversation, right. you know, watching their interactions with their loved one and not being the watchee, but watching and taking that in and mm-hmm. understanding life and the observations that come. You know, most of your interaction with your partner is about what you saw, what you experienced over the course of the day. For Barack and I, that's still very limited because we're not able to be exposed in an anonymous way. I'm realizing as you say it, you can't eavesdrop on someone else's conversation. You can't eavesdrop. And if you, when you think about it, as, as an entertainer, as a comedian, right. so much of your material comes from that. Yes. Just watching people live their lives. And right. we, we're, we're always watched at this stage. And bo- both Barack and I, what you learn about the world comes from that, which is why another reason why I wouldn't run. Right. You know, I don't live a normal life. I I used to, and I am a very, normal is baked into me because of how I was raised. But I also know the life I've lived for the last 10 years is no longer normal. Yeah. And so I don't know as much as I would want to, to be in a position of leadership to kind of know what are you feeling? Because you, you can't experience life behind a tinted window in a car, you know. So we we sacrifice that, and that's not a complaint. But if I'm going to be a leader, I got to be in there. I got to be able to be in there overhearing people's truths and really being able to see their pain without it being filtered through the veil of me, you know, Um and that's why I think it's important. Eight years is is enough. It is enough. It's time for new ideas and people who've been in the Chipotle line and people who are struggling in ways that we just, because of the nature of what we've done, we don't do that anymore. Right. You know, we need fresh, real, clear eyes in this stuff. That's why we're investing our time in training the next leaders the next kids who are still out there trying to figure out now they have the passion, but how do you do this? Right. You know, how do you be, how, if you want to be in public service, how do you do this? That's why a lot of these seats get transitioned back and forth yes. among the same people because the kids in those rooms have no idea how to get from their seats to where we are. Yeah. It's our responsibility to help expand that, that base of people who can serve Kids who don't, so you don't have to be networked or 
come from a family or be wealthy in order to be president, you know, but right now it's like a lot of jobs, you know, the president gets to be the president because he was born to the president, you know, or had a lot of money. And so we want to start training up kids who see life in a broad way. How do you develop a campaign? How do you raise money? You know, how do you, how do you hold office and, and do it ethically? Right. You know, how do you fill out the right forms? How do you hire the right people? I was amazed by the way, (laughs) I was amazed that you and your husband had to pay for all the food Mm -hmm. at the white house. Mm -hmm. And of course you were very ethical about it and you made sure there is, there's a budget for some things, but it's, shockingly small. Mm -hmm. And then you have to pay for all the food. And you noticed once that your husband, the president was really enjoying, he just casually said, oh, Mm -hmm. that sushi we had tonight was Mm -hmm. really good. And they said, we'll get it again for you, Mr. President. Then you realize you're paying for it and they're flying it in. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you said, we got to knock that off. It's like, it's It's not that good. That That guy is not worth that. (laughs) (laughs) That guy doesn't get that sushi. He doesn't need all that. But um, I swear to God, I think there are, I mean, if I was going to run for president, I think half the reason would be that I thought it was free food. <laughs> it's like, nope, nope, you pay for it. And you talked about having to figure out like, oh yeah, no, there's a budget for mm-hmm. like toilet paper, you right, know, just right. how it, much have you used versus how much is used by guests. And, you know, yeah, no, it's an expensive proposition to serve. Yes. Period. Now That's living it, in the serve, White House yeah. is one. And, and again, people don't talk about it because yeah, don't complain about living in the White House. It's right. like I tell Malia and Sasha, you can't complain about being the first daughters and having security. Right. Kid, go to school. You're fine. Um, but it's important for people to understand the sacrifices that not just the president and first lady make, but anyone, regardless of their party, who chooses to hold public office. It's a government job and it's hard and it's thankless. And just like I felt about families in the military where we want people to serve and we want to go to war, but we really don't want to understand the full sacrifice of the service members and their families, you know, before we trot them off to a war that maybe could have been avoided because it does impact their lives in ways. We don't talk about it because we're taught, be stoic about it. You know, it's an honor to serve. And yes, it is an honor to serve, but it's important for people to understand the sacrifices that all of these families make. And again, not to not hold them accountable, but to understand that this isn't just a cakewalk. It's not just, oh, now you do it. Yeah. <laughs> now you do it. Don't you want to do that again? It's like, no, it's I think really because hard. we also have a reality show, <laughs> we have this reality mm-hmm. show culture now that people can look at the yeah. presidency as well. That's the that's the person who got the rose from the bachelor. Yeah, right. Uh, that was a great episode. That was a great episode. And then you you know, you realize, you know well, no, no, it's actually an the, incredibly difficult right. <laughs> job. That, that that whole Supreme Court issue, whoa, it was dicey and we recovered and you know, yeah, yeah, no, it's not a reality show. It's real life stuff. I mean, when I was campaigning for Hillary, the main thing I wanted to communicate to the electorate in the speeches that I made is that this is a really hard job and it is serious. Um, and it requires a level of, of knowledge of history and patience. And you have to be a reader and you have to be someone who can handle stress and you have to watch your words. I mean, 
You know, we live in a time where tell it like it is. And it's like not when your words can start wars and shift markets. You know, there is a responsibility to be careful with them. And it wasn't shade. It wasn't it was really just for the voters out there as you're thinking about these things as someone who's been here. Just let me tell you about this job because it's real. And when Barack was in office, you know, this is my opinion. He made it look really easy and it's not. Uh, So we should all know that as part of the electorate, that we should understand that we have a responsibility to put people in office who are not only ready and passionate about it, but have immense skills to do this really hard job for a long time. Are you going to be really involved in this uh, in this next election? You know, my what what I have said, because I'm not interested in politics, because I also think and I've said this before. That sadly in our country, when you put an R on D on you, you immediately alienate most of the country with with whichever choice you make. Right. We're in those times right now. And my goal is that I want to be able to reach as many people as possible. I don't want people to stop listening or to take what I say differently if it's the truth just because I'm a D. Right. Because there are a lot of R's out there that I love and respect. And I want to, you know, if I know something, I want Republicans kids to know about college. I'm not one of these people who are like, either you're on my side or you're not. I think you can do that better outside of politics. But I will do everything that I can to emphasize the importance of voting, because in the end, that's what we have to do. You know, whatever your belief in we uh, is, we are just a country where the percentage of people who vote in all elections is just woefully small. It's depressing. It's depressing. So uh, to the extent that I will be involved in politics, you can say it's really just continuing to educate the next generation. These kids, all these choices are their future, you know. Everything that's happening today, those kids we just talked to are going to be dealing with it. We're going to be rolling ourselves off to the retirement home as anonymous as we want to be. People like, Michelle Obama, who? I don't think that's going to happen. (laughs) And I'm not getting in a wheelchair. You're you're not. I want to be a burden. I'm going to push you. I want to be a burden. I'm going to be there to push you. You're going to be there to push me around. Yeah, I'm going to come find you. And it's like, remember when you said, Conan, you weren't going to be in a wheelchair? You know what's nice? I will tell you this. You said that you lost your anonymity and you sort of kindly included me in losing my anonymity. And yes, I'm a known person and I do get recognized when I go places and I say hi to people and I I take selfies, but it was so refreshing today to be anonymous because when you walk into a room with Michelle Obama, you're anonymous and it's fun. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like, they're just all about you. And then there's like, what's, what's with that uh, Belgian woman who's with you? <laughs> Uh, this has been uh, a huge delight and Same I know here. how hard, I know how hard you work and uh, I want you to go and get some Chipotle. Okay. I want you to get the money that Chipotle owes you (laughs) for mentioning them multiple times. Uh, I want really nice things for you and your husband because you read this book and I encourage you to read it because it's a a fantastic book. And uh, I said this to you in all sincerity, so relatable. And you read it and when you're done, you think these two people have given, they gave everything. And this is long before... You were in office. Both of you, you and your husband, were giving of yourselves long before you got into office. And I think that you've 
earn the right to go sit in a car right now and have some fast food <laughs> and, um, you know, and then Thank go you. binge watch Sex in the City or whatever it is you want to do. Sounds like a great Friday. Yeah. I I'm will, on. I will have your people. I'm very powerful. <laughs> you can. And I can have and your- And obviously you have a deep relationship with Chipotle. I have, <laughs> let's just say they have never actually paid me for anything. Well, th- they You know should. what I have? I have a deep relationship with Chipotle now. Oh, you're right. <laughs> glad to be of help. Yeah. Glad and, to be um, of help. Thank my, you, my, my best to you, your Thank husband, you. and your amazing kids. Well, you've been an amazing support to me over the years. You don't think that, but my whole team still remembers our, our trip, uh, the work that we did with military families, the gracious way that you were always open to our initiatives. And your family is amazing. And I consider it... I will take the optimism or the the the, the cautiously out of my uh, feelings about our friendship. Well, that's nice. So I, I moved I, the puzzle piece just I a little forward. I am now forward. optimistic about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Whoa. But you said it with great caution. No, no, that was that was a dra- <laughs> that was a dramatic pause. Oh, oh that was dramatic pause. That was All dramatic right, dramatic pause. Okay, okay, okay. Optimism. Optimism. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks All for right. having me. Okay. Wow. That was uh, quite a day. We are headed back now to Los Angeles, back to our home. And um, that was an intense day. I love talking to her on the podcast. Mm -hmm. She was uh, really delightful to talk to. But there was just the whole day was started with us going to a high school in Milwaukee, having a roundtable with uh, a bunch of high school juniors. And uh, that was fun because we walked into the room they didn't know that Michelle Obama was coming and they freaked out. And it, that was just fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was delightful. And then we went in, and uh, into the podcast. Uh-huh. We were in a little classroom off to the side. Yeah. And uh, I thought you guys behaved very well. Yeah. We were the stars of that interview. I think. Yeah. You yeah. could hear us maybe giggling in the background. For That's some okay. Of you were there for moral support. Yeah. I really was just in awe of her eloquence and just the conversation you guys are having. I mean, it was quite nice. To was it somewhat in awe of me as, as well? Yeah. No, truthfully, you guys had a wonderful rapport. I really, really enjoyed it. And I know we joke around on this podcast, so I am joking right now. Yes. That's <laughs> no, I, I really did feel I that tell. <laughs> yeah. I loved her before. I love her even more now. Yeah. I am in awe of her. Uh, did you get a nice Michelle Obama hug? Summer? I did. I, I honestly, after, the, uh, after we recorded the podcast, she was nice enough to take pictures with us. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, she hugged both me and Matt. She initiated those hugs. She did, because yeah. I wasn't sure if I could. And then she leaned in, and I just closed my eyes <laughs> and lost myself in her like just warm embrace. I'm still there. Very nice. Probably a healing hug. I feel yes. 10 years younger. You look better today. Thanks. After the Michelle Obama hug. Thank you. Yeah. You I both, recommend it. You both look better. Thank you. I don't, I honestly don't know how she does it. Every minute of her day was packed with stuff to do. And yeah. she had, you know, wardrobe changes. And uh, I thought you have a busy schedule, but you know, really. I think I am just as busy and have just as much impact as former First Lady Michelle Obama. <laughs> and I think I'm deluded. That was a long day for you, though. Seriously. You had three it was. major events. Yeah, well, then after the podcast, uh, there was, uh, we got to take a little break and we went into this place and it was the perfect choice because they had 
cheese curds. Oh, those oh, put man. back the 10 years on me that Michelle took off. <laughs> Michelle Obama made you 10 years younger with her hug, and then you undid her healthy embrace with cheese curds. Boy, are those amazingly good. Oh, my God. They bring over, it's a, uh, I don't know what else to say. It's it's uh, cheese curds that have been deep fried. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, we're all going to Cedar sinai in L.A. now, straight to, to have our, uh, yeah. our, our, our arterial uh, system scraped. And it was, it was delicious. Then headed back. I got a chance to meet uh, Michelle Obama's brother. Craig Robinson, very cool guy, and then got to meet uh, Michelle Obama's mom. Yeah, that was fun backstage, hanging with her. I asked her, you know, did you like? Are you proud of the book? She's like, oh, I'm very proud of the book. But she sold me out. She sold me out. And she was going on and on about how Michelle Obama sold out some of the texts that she has written Mrs. Obama over, you know, uh, in which she's not that impressed with, you know, some cool thing. She like projected that. those on a huge screen during the whole event. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, she amazing. sold out her mom again during the event. And then the event was really fun. <laughs> was uh, terrific crowd. Yeah. And then um, it was over. How did you guys like being in the um, motorcade? Oh, my God. That was fun. That was so cool. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Oh. Oh, you weren't in the motorcade, were you? No, I wasn't. They let us, it's called folding in. They gave me a lime scooter and I had to follow yeah, That's right. That's right. <laughs> it was a Michelle Obama signature lime scooter. It was elegant. Yeah. And, uh, well, you didn't experience this, Matt, but Sone and I were in a car and they said, we'll fold you into the motorcade. Yep. And so um, our car just got in and then uh, we just sort of zipped along, which was fun. And then at one point we just got into traffic. And that was funny because we just slowed down like everybody else. And there were the sirens did no good. Yeah. Nothing. And then I just thought, this is hilarious. It's hilarious to be in a motorcade with sirens going and then you just hit really heavy traffic in Milwaukee. And no, nothing you can do about it. <laughs> no <laughs> one's above traffic. I was trying no to take video traffic. of it. It yes. didn't look at all like it a motorcade. It didn't look like a motorcade. No. Yeah. So. You heard sirens. And then at one point, we all slowed down in, you know, mid-city Milwaukee highway traffic. And it got kind of into gridlock. And then the policeman just turned off their sirens. <laughs> and everyone's just And then sitting. I rode by on the scooter. <laughs> then, yeah. And you went by on your scooter. Suckers. Yeah. See you later, asshole. See you later. <laughs> and then uh, I will admit that um, I was pretending that, no, I'm not, I've not been folded into Michelle Obama's motorcade. She's been folded into mine. Oh. And that gives you a little window, if you're listening, into my delusional madness. And what we're dealing with. Yeah. 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 But anyway. Yeah. And I mean, she had like tricked out SUVs, you know, they're bulletproof. And yours was just like. It was bullet welcoming. Just <laughs> bullseyes. <laughs> they gave me an old Chevy with bullseyes on it. Conan's in this. If you want to take a pop at him, go for yeah. it. Um, this is the world of podcasting in 2019. <laughs> it can, is. Can I say something? <clears throat> I think what people noticed listening to this podcast is that you and Mrs. Obama have a really great rapport with each other and listening to the two of you have conversations and interact with each other is really actually fun and nice to listen to. Yeah, it's it's a it's a funny thing that I didn't quite expect, but when I read her book there's a bunch of things about her personality that I could relate to, mm -hmm. you know, about being sort of young and anxious to succeed and 
a bit of a, a box checker, but then your life taking this weird turn that you didn't expect. For me, that was getting into comedy, which I never thought would happen. You know, mm-hmm. I, was, I think I was trying to head towards being on the Supreme Court when I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. not that, but you know, I was, uh, I was a very uh, intense young fellow who was, uh, worked really hard and, and never thought that I would have a career in comedy. That's like the last, and then my life took a crazy turn, but just, just, I was really impressed with how honest she is in the book about Mm -hmm. things in her life and her marriage and in raising children that, uh, there, there is something in her story for everyone to find. I found that too, just listening to the event and the fact that they go to couples therapy together and the relationship between Barack Obama and her. And I was texting my wife going, you'll never believe who does this thing as well or whatever. You know, right. you know who I think should go to couples therapy? You and I, Gourley. Oh, yeah. Okay. Actually, I think the three of us oh, yeah. should go into <laughs> therapy together and just talk out. And you know what we should do? We should, we should have it on the podcast. Because <laughs> you could get out your issues with me. Sometimes you feel like I'm putting you down when I'm... When I am, yeah, and, and uh, that's so when I, I feel like you are. You yeah. could talk about some of your. I'm, you may have issues with me. I have no idea. I feel I have a ten year head start yeah. from Matt, and I have a lot to unpack. So I'm down. I'm down to do that. All right, Let's we'll do it. Look for are that. you Are you okay with me telling another person all the stuff that you have said to me over the years? <laughs> yes, <I'm, laughs> about me calling me a vampire. Oh, please, let's not get into that and, now. Okay. Uh, this is a very classy podcast we're doing. Today. Said I stole babies from a marketplace. We're going to edit this all out. This is a Michelle Obama special podcast. Uh, this is a big deal. And Say I floated here. Please. In a basket. In please. a basket. Please. My dad survived a goat attack. Please. None of this is true. Uh, anyway, classy podcast today. <laughs> Michelle Obama podcast. And I will not have it ruined with scurrilous rumors. <laughs> about, it's well documented. About yeah. my insane behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and not have it ruined with us repeating things that you've said. Please, please. Got to, got to nip this in the bud. You've got to squelch this now. Well, um, I have a question. Yeah. Where does this podcast go from here? Because this is yeah. quite something. Well, Vladimir Putin in a rowboat. <laughs> us just chatting. His shirt's off. Yeah, his shirt's off. Oh. Um, is your shirt off too? Yes, my shirt would also be off. Uh, if he takes his shirt off... Then I have to take my shirt off. I think Sona and I will just be on the shore, yeah, far away, uh, yeah, blindfolded, yes. <laughs> so you don't have to see our our torsos, um, glistening in the sun. That this, <laughs> you're like this is a professional podcast, <laughs> and we got to you and Vladimir Putin shirtless in a rowboat. Yeah, so you did that though. Yeah, I suppose. No, I'm proud of I, I'm proud of you guys, and I'm proud of our whole podcast team, Aaron Blairt. Mr. Becton over here, Adam Sachs, the maestro, and of course, Britt Kahn, who, who made this all happen. And uh, yeah, I'm just proud of my team. I, I, I joke around a lot, but we have a very uh, good unit here. Mm-hmm. You guys are very good at what you do. And um, I'd like to have this last part erased. <laughs> we're like the SEAL Team 6 of podcasting. We're strike team. We're in. We're out. Yeah. That was, uh, no. Yeah. No, <laughs> we're not SEAL Team 6. Yeah, we are. No, we are the Walmart greeters of podcasters. We are I don't know, aging. I'm with Matt. We, we are aging. Uh, we just stand around. Um, We're the dirty dozen. It's not quite clear how we add to the overall profit of the endeavor as, like, as greeters. We don't know. We just don't know. But the important thing is we did it together as a team. 
Good work, team. Oh, and let me say uh, briefly, if you enjoyed today's podcast and you're a first-time listener and you checked us out, check out some of the other Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend episodes. Yeah, and subscribe. Yeah, yeah it costs you nothing. It costs you nothing but a little bit of your trust. But the returns are staggering. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Staggering. That just, that just ruined it. You know, forget what I said about subscribing to the others. <laughs> The support on this team is staggering. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Seal Team 6. That's right. Well, Seal Team 5 once we get rid of Gorley. Oh, wait a minute. Now I quit. Yeah, you're on an airplane. I've got a parachute. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, there you go. That was our Michelle Obama podcast uh, taped in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. This has been fun. Thanks for tuning in. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Special thanks to Jack White for the theme song. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blayert, and the show is engineered by Will Beckton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.